Hey, deadly listeners, welcome to the Indigipreneur podcast again, a show that helps you gain a better understanding of Indigenous entrepreneurship and answer all your related questions. I'm your host, Dean Foley, an Indigenous entrepreneur with over five years' experience in the field. In today's episode, we'll hear from me, Lucky Year, about Indigenous entrepreneurship versus Western entrepreneurship and what are the differences which I spoke about at the First Nations Economic Forum. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining First Nations Economic Forum. Um, random event, yeah, put together just to create a platform for Indigenous people in Australia. And hopefully, you know, we get more on board around the world to speak about, you know, what they're doing in the Indigenous space um, for the economy and, yeah, what are the challenges and, and opportunities to take things to the next level and create opportunities that you know benefit community instead of benefiting just a select few like western economies generally do so yeah welcome to united nations indigenous people um the world's indigenous people day they keep on changing these names but um yeah it's good to have on board and have a yarn about you know some of the differences between indigenous and western entrepreneurship and yeah, excuse me for any ums and buts. My brain's a bit fried from you know putting this event all together and getting the live speakers and uploading the videos and all that kind of stuff. So I'm a bit out of it at the moment, but I've got a massive coffee ready to go. Um, so I should be good for this session and the rest of the day. Indigenous versus Western entrepreneurship. <clears throat> I think a lot of People who have really spoken and have mentioned the different paradigms or worldviews of Indigenous people compared to, you know, Western people, generally speaking. And it shouldn't really be, um, you know, rocket science. I mean, it, it makes logical sense, just as there are differences, you know, between um, China's way of doing things and, and the US way of doing things or Britain way of doing things. Um, so, you know, they've got that Eastern versus Western viewpoints too, and there's, you know, different cultures and worldviews. So, I mean, it shouldn't really shock anybody that, you know, Indigenous people think uh, and their communities do things differently um, traditionally compared to Western societies. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of differences, again, touching on, I think a few people mentioned individualism, you know, egotistic um, individual uh, point of view in Western societies. You know, it's generally about us, um, you know, myself kind of thing. And in Eastern societies, generally speaking, um, Asian societies, you know, it's it's all about the family and they'll do anything for the family uh, per se. And, you know, Indigenous, you know, same, like, you know, there's... Um, uh, you know, family is very important, but uh, for me and, and from what I've seen in most Indigenous communities, obviously not everybody's the same, but, you know, community trumps everything um, and we shouldn't be, in theory, doing anything, uh, you know, to progress our own interests or family interests above the best interests of community as a whole. So who am I? Um, grew up with the Aboriginal community here in Ganda, Kamilori Man. And um, after serving five years in the Royal Australian Air Force, mostly based in Canberra, which I'm glad I'm not in at the moment because I'd be freezing 
my backside off. But um, yeah, so five years and a friend in the Defence Force dropped a book on my desk about entrepreneurship, read it, and coming from poor family upbringing and growing up within the Aboriginal community, you don't see those opportunities. So it was kind of a, you know, you see all these sports stars come in and and that kind of stuff, but you don't, um, you know, don't hear about successful Indigenous businesses, entrepreneurship and that kind of stuff. Um, So it was a light bulb moment for me. And I wanted to learn more about entrepreneurship and how to run and grow businesses. So I left the Defence Force, um, moved up to Brisbane yeah, to learn, begin that journey. And during that time, you know, working part-time and all that kind of stuff to pay the bills, have a roof over the head, started studying postgraduate degree at university and also started getting involved with the startup community in Brisbane um, and finding out that it was... I guess services available for Indigenous people and going to those um, mostly governments um, at the time it was mostly just government providing services and I thought the government was pretty hopeless to be honest um, you know no offence to, to most public servants but yeah it was just a bit of a shit fight you know lots of uh, politics and people that I didn't really know about entrepreneurship and didn't really I felt, you know, probably disconnected from the issues in community, um, kind of living in the ivory towers, you know. Um, so, yeah, I was a bit disappointed with that, um, but I got invited to Australia's Health Startup Weekend, which was through, oh, crap, memory, uh, ILAC, I think it was. It was the innovation arm of University of Queensland at the time. Don't know if it still exists, but, yeah, went to that, thought it was pretty cool. Um, startup weekend, Australia's Health Startup Weekend, and uh, I think we we finished third or something at that event. But uh, thought it was pretty cool, and I thought, you know, why not? Why hasn't there been an Indigenous you know, version of this just to promote Indigenous entrepreneurship? So with no event experience, um, within a couple months, uh, able to raise um, tens of thousands of dollars to put the event together, and um, I think we had it over. I think I capped it at 120 participants. We had around 80, 100 participants um, during the three-day event. So I did that. I knew there needed to be more done from my own experience and and just started reaching out to accelerator programs across Australia. And one of them got back to me, Slingshot, and they saw the value from a social, corporate social responsibility point of view. Um, So, yeah, got together with them, learned how... Had to run accelerator content and all that kind of stuff and they helped me run the world's first indigenous business accelerator end of 2016 i think there's around about five indigenous entrepreneurs at the time um but yeah long story short just this journey that you know uh, i just fell into kind of thing to start barry which is you know, now known as a world leader in Indigenous entrepreneurship despite our small budget you know competing against the big uh, well-funded government organizations um but it wasn't something i wanted to do i like obviously want to help community but i wanted to learn how to run and grow businesses and i just fell into it uh, you know and if i didn't do it who would kind of thing so so we've done a whole lot of cool stuff uh, for me the first indigenous business accelerator first hackathon where we had five indigenous 
sorry, I think it was three or five Indigenous charities come to Brisbane and with the tech ecosystem there, try to build tech-based solutions to increase their impact. And we even did like a little launch the first Indigenous scene, Koto Dojo, which Koto Dojo is, you know, massive around the world. Um, so Indigenous, Indigenous entrepreneurship is not something new. Um, you know, we haven't just reinvented this. Um, you know, it's been happening for a long time before colonization. And there's a few examples here of some of the very innovative stuff. You get the you get the anti, I call them the anti-indigenous um rights uh groups or activists, you know, who always bring in indigenous people down and label them as barbarians, barbarians and you know, uh caveman kind of thing. But um yeah, Indigenous innovation here. So we've got uh, Bunj Bin, um, excuse me for pronunciation, but it's the oldest agriculture site in the world, which farmed eels and fish. And um, for memory, that was around about 6,000, 6, 7,000 years old and the oldest agriculture structure in the world, you know, which is quite impressive. We didn't just invent boomerangs in Australia, despite what some of the anti-Indigenous people uh, like people, other people to think. Um, baking too, you know, archaeologists have dug up uh, sites um, and found tools uh, that they believe, you know, were tens of thousands years old and used for um, baking, cooking bread and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot lot in there. You know, it's been around for a while, as you can see in this diagram, it's nothing new. Um, despite you know the, the imperialism propaganda to to make all indigenous people look like you know cannibals and you know cavemen that didn't really do anything for a long time you know they were here so indigenous versus western entrepreneurship um again it's been a long day but the reason i had this uh, presentation i guess was to to dig in um, because you know this the government promotes that they're doing a lot of stuff and you know indigenous led and indigenous communities are getting a lot of money and all this kind of stuff but um, when you actually dig into it you know the government and their benefits and where the money is actually going um, a lot of that doesn't actually reach you know grassroots in communities or at first nations to make a difference and that's why you know, you can hear all this stuff that's going on, but when you actually go out to Aboriginal communities, you, you can see they, you know, they're still living in poverty. There might be one or two that, you know, have made it, but most of them um, are missing out still on those opportunities and uh, all that money that's supposed to be going into into community. And, and where is it going? It's going to the middleman. It's going to joint ventures that profit uh, majority in non-indigenous partners it's going to government organizations um, and who knows you know what they do with it um, so yeah i thought it was you know important to mention because um, you know, there's been a lot of money put towards western entrepreneurship in western ways of doing things here's what i found and it'll be good for see even series onto it now it'll be good for you know to you know step back and revise the way of doing things which 
may or may not be benefiting most people in the world. I think you know, most people um, live in poverty. Um, so, you know, how do we reinvent the way, a new way of doing things that benefit most people? And obviously the Indigenous collective um, you know, point of view has been operating for thousands, tens of thousands of years, and um, there's no need to reinvent the wheel per se, um, you know, there's a good system, entrepreneurship system, Indigenous entrepreneurship already exists. And I think it's worth looking at to, to bankroll Indigenous entrepreneurship instead of sticking to status quo and supporting Western entrepreneurship, whether it's Indigenous or non-Indigenous people operating a Western style business. So that's what I see happening lots, you know, in the um, entrepreneurship space and the economy space uh, for First Nations. You know, you get all these Indigenous procurement policies, Indigenous contracts. Oh, look at these billion dollars, you know, of in government money. Where's it going? It's going to Indigenous people. Well, not really. Um, it's going to these middlemen and entities. I put the church there because I was nothing against the church per se, even though obviously they haven't got the best history uh, with Indigenous people. But uh, it, you know, just to sim symbolise a, a business entity. Um, but you have these quote-unquote Indigenous businesses, whether it's, you know, 5%, 51% or 100% Indigenous owned, and it doesn't really matter because, you know, most of the, the money that's going through it has been siphoned um, into the non-Indigenous uh, pockets and making, you know, the same people rich or richer making them more money. And again, it's not going back into community. It's going back to, to the individuals, which is a very Western way of doing things. And don't get me wrong. Obviously, you know, Indigenous entrepreneurship, it's, it's not communism and that kind of stuff. You know, people should be rewarded in community. Everybody's got value to add uh, in their different ways, and they should be rewarded for their contribution to community. But they shouldn't benefits entirely over community. You know, they shouldn't benefit off community, but they should benefit for their contribution to community. Um, so I've got nothing, you know, nothing against uh, people who are doing good work to, to be rewarded um, to a certain degree. But yeah, if it's not flowing into community, what's what's the point of these indeed quote unquote indigenous procurement policy and all that kind of stuff when it's just it should just be a Western procurement policy and just, you know, cut the Indigenous name out because it's uh, kind of false advertising <laughs> in my point of view. Anyway, so, yeah, Indigenous versus Western entrepreneurship. There's a lot of studies in, in growing studies. Well, correction, there's a lot of studies, I guess, around Indigenous culture and, and some of the differences between Indigenous Western cultures, you know, throughout the world, and there are, you know, not everybody gets along, um, but there are common, you know, commonalities and common goals of Indigenous people, um, generally speaking. So, yeah, you've got the Indigenous way of doing things, um, and then you've got, you know, mainstream Western way of doing things, which is very focused on, you know, individuals, um, even in Australia, even though, you know, it's very democratic and all that kind of stuff, if you look at the wealth, especially during COVID, you know, the top you know, 5 10% or whatever became 
you know, hundred times wealthier during COVID, where you know the middle class and and everybody else became poorer during COVID. So, you know, it's it's a system. It's like a pyramid scheme, and if you're at the top, you're laughing, but everybody else down below, you know, is is screaming like, "What the hell's going on?" and Indigenous way of doing things, yeah, it's more community focus um, that have that worldview that everything and everyone uh, per se can add value and contribute to community, not just a select few who are being gifted, you know, by the gods to save everybody. But that developed, yeah, a lot of resources around Indigenous and Western entrepreneurship based on existing studies academic studies already out there and um, you know my own experience and also reaching out to community too like um, reaching out to community and, and getting their feedback from different people like obviously can't reach everybody you know especially in remote areas but um, they try and do the best I can to, you know with that community outreach um, to reach as many people as possible um, the people you know with the appropriate experience um, too because nobody's good at everything. You need the right uh, right people to contribute to. And um, yeah, base, anyway, space created a whole bunch of resources anyways. Um, and again, yeah, just to finish off, you know, Indigenous versus Western entrepreneurship, it's been happening for ages, thousands of years, to those uh, anti-Indigenous rights groups you know we haven't just invented the boomerang we've invented uh, a lot of cool stuff and we will contribute continue to create you know a lot of cool stuff in our own way um especially you know if we start getting opportunities um i'm going to speak about more of the finance side after lunch because i need a break but um yeah indigenous people obviously you know have been left out during this you know, heightened imperialism era over the last couple of hundred years. And, uh, you know, we need those opportunities, access to finance. We need the banks to start profiting off Indigenous land, stolen Indigenous land and start, you know, giving us money so we can build our economies, our communities in a culturally appropriate way, you know, that's sustainable. Um, obviously, we'll give the money back. It's not a handout, but yeah, we need all these organizations to stop talking about reconciliation, um, you know, getting together, holding each other's hands, and start talking, start actually taking action, you know, reconciliation action. Um, start working with us you know, to create a better world and, and stop leaving us behind. It's good that United Nations has a day to celebrate International Day, to celebrate the world's Indigenous population. But at the same time, if they're just talking about decolonizing, you know, in 10 years and all this other stuff or climate change finance, you know, Indigenous people only get 1% of the finance and, you know, they're, they're protecting, conserving 80% of uh, rainforest biodiversity from the, the little land that they still have, I think, you know, they sh Indigenous people should be awarded financially too from their from their way of doing things. I mean, if Elon, you hear Elon having a whinge all time about these other uh, electronic car companies getting stuff, and he likes to claim that you know he basically invented you know the movement and all that kind of stuff, and and maybe he did. 
And he has a fair point. You know, if he's doing most of the work in innovating, then he should get rewarded because that's uh, no, that's how it should be. But um, Indigenous people with their conservation and, and looking after the environment and um, the way of doing things aren't, you know, getting rewarded in this system, even on the United Nations world platform. We're not being rewarded uh, with the finance that's been committed to climate change and all that kind of stuff. And it needs to change. And that's basically <laughs> the message anyways. Let's stop um, forcing Indigenous people, assimilating them to the Western way of doing things. Let's get back to in supporting Indigenous entrepreneurship and, and bankrolling Indigenous entrepreneurship to create better communities and First Nations economies. All right, thanks everybody. Um, yeah, I'm going to dig into that coffee now and we should have, we've got some awesome live speakers coming up soon. Um, so stay tuned. Um, obviously you don't have to spend you know the whole day on Zoom, just check out the schedule, what's on and that kind of stuff and jump in and, and check out what you, you know, what's relevant to you and what you actually want to see Indigenous people talk about and that kind of stuff. As I mentioned, I've been uh, busy <laughs> with a whole bunch of other things. So um, unfortunately, I haven't got as many speakers as I want and haven't been able to reach out, you know, on the global stage to get more international speakers, more Indigenous people from around the world. So you know, that was a bit of a bummer. But, you know, version 1.0 normally sucks. Um, you know, next year we'll take things to the next level. Also, if you've, um, I, I keep sending out information and <laughs> my inbox keeps getting filled with people um, commenting. But um, if you're on the LinkedIn event page, it gets spammed with phishing scams and, and, you know, just spam generally speaking. And there's nothing I can do. I tried to delete all the comments or the dodgy links to, you know, the dodgy websites that they're promoting to. I reported to LinkedIn like a hundred times. You know, that's a LinkedIn Microsoft problem. There's nothing I can do about the LinkedIn uh, event chat and all those um, dodgy articles and phishing scams and uh, links that have been put into it. So yeah, um, if you haven't got the message already, you know, hopefully you've got it now and don't click on those links and obviously don't, you know, give dodgy, um, sites your bank details and all that kind of stuff just try and be a bit more cyber aware and and watch out for those you know people with western entrepreneurship opportunists uh trying to take your money and scam you all right thanks everybody peace